0: Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome to the show If this is your first time joining us Welcome, it's good to have you here Hope you enjoy yourself If you're part of the cyber family Then what up Welcome back Listen, we got a real good show Today We should title this one that Sometimes I be right For real had a good week with my predictions for those of you who don't know. Listen, welcome to another edition of Sometimes I Be Right. I am your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host Wally. Say what up, Wally. Listen, man, I had a good week with my predictions, right? Not only, not only did all of my picks turn out the way that I predicted they would, right? Perfect record, 4-0. Not not bragging. But not only did the teams I picked win, but the games happened exactly as I said they would. Right? Exactly how I said they would. Why? I'll tell you why. I said it a long time ago when I first started the show. I don't I don't come on here every day. I don't do a show every day, right? I don't have to fill airspace every day, create an episode every day, give y'all content every day. Right? And the reason why I didn't choose to do it that way is because when you, when you do that, when you have to do something every 24 hours, you lose logic, right? Then you just start, you just start saying things. You just start making up narratives. Just have something to talk about. We need something because inevitably, during the week, during the season, there's nothing to talk about. There's going to be a day where there's just nothing going on. And those are the days where you have to fill airspace and you say something stupid. So me, I stick with logic. So all of my predictions last week were based on pure logic, right? So I told y'all that Ohio State was going to make a statement over Purdue, right? Purdue's coming off the big, big upset of Michigan State. Everyone's talking about, oh, man, I could, I could see Purdue pulling off the upset against Ohio State. Ohio State could be in trouble. Upset alert. For, at, at no point, for not a second during the week, did I think Ohio State was really in trouble. Not for a second. Not for a second. There was never a moment right from the jump. I said, oh, here it is. Ohio State is going to put a beating on them. It's going to put everybody on notice. That's what I said, right? I said they're going to make a big statement against Purdue. And what did they do? Trounce them. That game wasn't close. That game was 45 to 17 before you could even blink. It was over. It was over first quarter, 21-7. Gone. Game over. Now, you could say, yeah, Purdue, you know, they fumbled and then they botched the kickoff. Sure. Sure. Mistakes. Pressure pressure will do that to you. You on the road, you in the shoe, right? It's a 3:30 kickoff time. National TV. Yeah. That'll do that to you. Pressure will do that to you. Make you make mistakes. When you when you feel like you're going against somebody that that is so good that you have to be perfect, you're going to make those little mental errors. Trust me. I know. <laughs> I played many a sports where I felt like I need to be perfect to get this done, and I listen, it ain't work. <laughs> I told y'all that Oklahoma was playing with fire. So many games this season, they were flirting with disaster. Whether it was Spencer Rattler coming in there, just looked off to when Caleb Williams came in. and had to have that big, big comeback against Texas, right? Remember? And everyone said, oh, Caleb Williams, that's the answer, that's the answer, that's the answer. I said, yeah, this kid's good. But don't ever forget, he's still just a freshman. Still a freshman, right? It's not easy going to college football. And just dominating right off the rip. It takes a little time. You're gonna have some ups and downs that comes with it. As an Ohio State fan, I can tell you, CJ Stroud having those ups and downs. There's moments where you think, Oh, I don't know. And then there's moments where you say this guy's got it. It's ups and downs, it's freshmen. That's what it is. But then they had the close call against what, Kansas? And they just always seemed like they were kind of moments where it was like, ah, this, yeah, against a better team, that that mistake. Right? Those shortcomings are going to be magnified against the better teams, and they were going against Baylor on the road. And logic tells you, yo, you're flirting with disaster, you're going against a good team, you're going to have trouble. It's going to spell trouble. And what happened? They lost. Convincingly. Right? I told y'all, the Chiefs, everyone's, oh, what's going on with the Chiefs? What's going on with Patrick Mahomes? Listen, I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm not a big Patrick Mahomes guy. I came on again in the beginning of the season telling y'all, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. I think Justin Herbert is. That's my guy. That's the guy I would pick for best in the league, right? The numbers may not reflect it right now, but trust me, give it time. It's going to come through, right? But you could see when the conversation shifts so far to one way and everybody's talking so far one way, you realize, huh, either everybody's right or everybody's wrong nah, that's not that's stupid <laughs> yo my bad i apologize that was the dumbest thing i ever said no, no listen if everybody's swaying so far to one side you gotta think why is it based on facts and reality or is it based on typical sports talk which is right now everything's right now this week they lost so this week ah, they're not playing well no they could be playing well overall just this game was a bad game look at what happened to the cowboys they had a game last week against the Denver Broncos. They got beat 30 to nothing before, like 30 to nothing at one point. They got two garbage time touchdowns to make it look a little more respectable, but that game was never close. That game was over. They, everything about it was bad, and I said just throw it away. Burn it. Don't even look at it. When you, when you, to, when you go over the new game plan, when you review the film from last week, just ignore it. We're going to pretend like we didn't even have a game last week. That's how bad it was. And what did they do? They came out this week against the Falcons, one by 40. Now everybody's back on, like, oh, this team is legit. But just a couple of days before, they were saying, oh, what's wrong with the Cowboys? Is this is this an aberration? Is this a, a sign of things to come? It's like, no, it's just a bad game. But again, when you're in the sports media and you have to fill 24 hours a day with conversation, you end up saying these things and bloviating. Is that a word? Is that the right way to say it? I'm going to say it anyway. Bloviating. <laughs> To make it be something, to make it mean something or say something, just to spark a conversation, that you end up missing the point. Listen, no, Kansas City has not looked like themselves, but look who they're playing. They're playing the Raiders. Look, the Raiders have had just, they had a great start. First four or five games, great start, right? You felt real good about the Raiders. But then head coach gets into some drama, he has to resign. Then you have Henry Ruggs gets into his terrible accident and his situation. And that has to take a toll. It has to take a toll. Like, you got to remember, this is a team. Yeah, not everybody on the team is friends and not everybody is close. But enough of those guys could say, hey, that was my guy. That was my friend. He's gone. His life is potentially ruined in an instant, in a moment, in a lapse of judgment. Over. And you think I'm just be over that in two days, ready to go play a game? You think I'm be over that in two weeks? Like, you know what I mean? Like it takes that, that that's a lot. That's a lot in a short period of time for that team to have to go through. And they, you know what? It, it it affects you. So you have that happening on a Monday night. Right? And what did I say? Kansas City's gonna look like Kansas City. You're going to come out of that game saying, oh, Kansas City's back. That's what I said what happened. I said that last Thursday. And I record this on a Wednesday, so I said that last Wednesday. I said a Wednesday for a Monday game. They're going to look like, gonna look like the, the Chiefs. And look, I'm be, I'm be completely honest with you. I don't pay attention to what anybody else is predicting or saying or trends. I just tell you what I feel. And that's what I felt like. And sure enough, it happened. Now, my last one, and this is where I want to start today. Because I feel like this is important. This is the one that got me the most heated through the week, right? I told you the Browns were going to lose to the Patriots. Now, I know that's not a crazy prediction. I'm not saying I make crazy picks. I'm saying I make logical picks, right? I make logical picks. Now, all I heard last week... All you could hear, any channel, any radio show, any sports you listen to was talking about, the Browns are better off without Beckham. They got rid of him. They're ready to go. Baker Mayfield, oh, he plays so much better without him. He had a quote-unquote great game the week before against the Bengals. And everyone said, oh, that was a statement win. That was a statement from Baker Mayfield. He showed the, the NFL world that he's better off without Beckham. And I said, what happens if they lose? What happens if they lose to the Patriots? What kind of statement was that? What was the statement then? You know what the statement was for me? Baker Mayfield in his career is five and one against the Bengals. Five and one. Against the Bengals. He always plays well against the Bengals. Since he's been in the NFL, he's owned the Bengals. Hey, 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 sports media, did you guys forget that? Did you guys forget that stat? Because I didn't. Because going into the game, I said, oh, he he always plays well against the Bengals. So they got the win. It was a big statement win. He showed off. He showed out. This team is better without him. Addition by subtraction. All those stupid sports cliches they throw out there. And then you go out there and you got washed by the Patriots. Got washed. Got dominated. Yeah, Baker got hurt. Like, whatever. He's average. Who cares? (laughs) One of these days, t- this is going to be the week, this is going to be the week. Here's what I'm going to do. Between this week and next week, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to look up Ryan, Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick's numbers. I'm telling you right I'm going to look him up, and I'm going to do his averages, right? What he averages per season. Take all of his seasons that he's been a starter, average them out, get an average number, and I'm willing to guarantee his numbers are probably virtually the same as Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's it. He's an average quarterback who sometimes is going to look great and look really good and get the job done. You say, "Wow, this this guy can get it done. And then there's going to be times where he looks awful. And what you end up with most Sundays is right down the middle average. That's what Baker Mayfield is. So what was the statement? So one week they win against the Bengals, and it's, all they made a statement. They're better off without blah, 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 blah. And then they come out and get washed, and then what? What's wrong with the Browns? What's wrong with Baker Mayfield? Should they go in a different direction at quarterback? Just the day before, y'all were telling me that they had a statement when they're better off without Beckham. What happened? That's what I'm saying. The loss to me, look. I'm not saying that this proves that they need Odell Beckham. What I'm saying is game to game doesn't prove anything. There's a reason why you play 16 games. Well, now 17. There's a reason why you play those games. There's a reason why they keep your record. The totality of your season will let you know what you are. One game isn't going to change. And, like It doesn't define you one game. Because you can look at anyone's worst game and say, this team is garbage. You can look at any quarterback's worst game and say, this, this quarterback is garbage. What you do is you have to look at the averages. What are you? Tom Brady's not great because he won the Super Bowl every year. But if you look at his career, the boy got seven. Right? Seven. So it's like, overall, like you got more than anybody else buy a lot. You got more than some franchises. If you look at somebody like Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers will have down games in a year. Look at week one this year. It was terrible. It was terrible week one. And ever since then, everyone wants to talk about him being MVP. But if we looked at that first game and said, this defines what he is now, this is who Aaron Rodgers is now, you would look like an idiot today. They did it. I didn't. I came in the next day and said they should have traded him in the offseason, but not because of that game. I don't think that game says anything. I think that game was just a bad game. Those happen. I said the same thing about Matt Stafford. Oh, don't look now. But the Rams look a little eh. (laughs) Two consecutive weeks, they look a little eh. I don't know. We're going to touch on that in a minute. We're going to get on that in a minute. But what I'm saying is, my point is that all this talk... About the statement they made, in that one win was just stupid. Listen, if I can, if I, can, if you can get anything from me as a sports fan, just please, 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 don't live and die week to week. You know what I mean? Don't live and die week to week. Don't think you know your team is Super Bowl bound after week four, and then week five they lose and say we're go- we're we're god awful, we're garbage, and we're gonna be picking first in the draft. Just chill, chill, enjoy the win accept the loss and move on now there's certain games that are more important as a fan you have those teams it's important it's important and if you lose that one oh, God, it hurts it hurts it burns <laughs> but you don't have to let that be a definer for your season no man you could win a super bowl and be nine and seven you could win a Super Bowl and barely squeak into the playoffs. You could lose in the first round of the playoffs at 13-3. I've seen it. So don't get too high, don't get too low, stay even, take your averages, like what's your record? That's what matters. Okay. So speaking of the Chiefs, we mentioned the Chiefs before. I'm gonna just we're just gonna run through these topics today. I got a lot to, I got a lot to talk about. Did y'all remember? Y'all remember uh, early in the year uh, when when Derek Carr and the Raiders were riding high, and the Monday Night Football announcers were talking about how you know it just looks like Derek Carr is playing with more of a chip on his shoulder this season. He looks like he just stopped caring about what anybody else was saying and is just doing what he knows he can do. Remember all that? Remember all that talk, Derek Carr for MVP? Right? Remember all that? Remember, I was coming in here trying to tell y'all that they're going to turn on him. What's going to happen is Derek Carr is playing the way he's always played. Derek Carr is not having a better season than he's ever had. He's playing the way he's always played. The only difference is they're getting some W's. Some of these games last year or in previous seasons would have ended up in a loss. His numbers would have looked the same. But the outcome was just a little different for whatever reason. This year, they got the wins. And so everyone just praised him. Oh, we we, we he's, he's great. He something's changed with him. What happened? Ever since then, again, Derek Carr is what he is. All right. So there's like levels, right? So there's there's garbage, there's bad, then there's average, then there's solid, then there's good, then there's great. Derek is solid, (laughs) right? He's above average, but he's solid. He's better than Baker Mayfield, (laughs) but he's solid, right? He's not going to ever be in the top five of the league, but he'll find his way into the top 10. He'll find his way as a top 10 QB for sure, 100%. And there's going to be some moments if you surround him in the right environment, he can have a great season. If things are going well, he can have some great games. But when you look at the end of the season, pay attention. to totality, the total body of work. Look at the end of the season and look at the numbers he has for the year and compare them to every other year in his career. And I promise you, right in line. No better, no worse. Right there. Derek Carr has been in the league long enough to know what he is. Right? Don't, like... The guys will show you who they are, and that's who they're going to be. Whether they start off hot or they start off slow, they're going to end up averaging right what they average. That's what they are. It's foolish of you, as a fan, as a comment, as an analyst, or anybody, to think that somebody's just having, like, they are what they are. If he's playing well, he's playing well. That's it. But he and he's going to end up what he is. Am I making sense? I don't like I don't think it's fair. this might sound like I'm knocking Derek Carr. I'm not I'm not. What I'm knocking is this idea with this idea of being like, you can't you can't a player can't show you what they are and do what they do for eight years and then have a good season and you now all of a sudden change. With like their standard right so let's say let's say a golfer every time he goes in a par 70 he hits 74 74 74 that's his number he's gonna bank on it he's gonna be four over for the tournament that's what he does 10 years in a row right nah that's stupid <laughs> i don't know enough about golf to use golf why would i try to use golf why would i try to use golf <laughs> let me use baseball okay Let's say a guy in baseball, for the first 10 years of his career, he is a 268 hitter. That guy hits 268, 264, 265, between 260 and 270 for his career, eight straight years. And his ninth season, he goes out and he bats 305. Right? So for eight years, it was 268. One year, it was 305. It would be foolish of you as a fan or an analyst to now assume that his new norm is 305. So the next year when he dips down to 268, for you to say he's having a down year is foolish. That's you ignoring his eight previous years before he had the one really good one. Because every player in every sport is going to have a their best year and their worst year, but most of their career is going to be right in between. That's what Derek Carr is going to be. He's showing you what he is. He's showing you what he is to this point. If you don't like it, then that's on you. He ain't no different. Put put him on a different team and he ain't going to be different. That's what he is. Now, if that's your guy, then that's your guy. He's a solid quarterback. Ain't nothing wrong with it. He's better than a lot of guys in the league. I would put him in the top ten. Right? But it's not right because he had three really good games that everyone said, if he has anything less than that now, he's having a down year. We're going to trash him. We're going to say we got to get rid of him. No, 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 no. You changed the standard. He didn't. He was going to end up where he was going to end up anyway. You decided after seeing the first two games that, you know, we need to change it. His standard is now up. His, his price is up. No. And that's what you did with the Browns. I'm going to keep harping on it because Baker Mayfield is average. <laughs> and I'm tired of y'all. You know what it is? You know what it is? Here's my beef. Because my favorite quarterback, my favorite football player of all time, of all time, was Tony Romo. Now, why did I love Tony Romo? I could tell you why. My love affair with Tony Romo started, this is a tangent, I apologize, we're going to get back on track, but let me just say this. Because I think it'll make sense why I defend guys like Goff or why I'm critical of Stafford or whatever. Like, this will kind of help clarify why I feel the way I feel about quarterbacks. Here was my thing about Romo. I really liked Romo when, in his first playoff game against Seattle, he was holding the snap. Now, everyone in the NFL will tell you the starting quarterback doesn't hold the ball on kicks. They don't. Find me one. You can't. They don't do it. Usually the punter does or the backup does. The starting quarterback is never responsible for holding the ball. The problem was is that Tony Romo wasn't the starter when the season came up, so he was holding, and he was a really good holder. The entire team said, the coaching staff said, this guy's really good at holding. He's very reliable. He's the best we got. So we're going to keep him there. Even though he's a starter, we're going to keep him there because he's the best at it. So in that situation, when he gets the ball hiked to him, even though it was greasy as all get up. (laughs) Look at the replay, boy. Look, look at the replay, bro. That ball was so greasy. (laughs) That ball was glistening, bro. Like, there's no way they didn't grease it. They definitely greased the ball. They definitely did, right? Look at the replay. <laughs> I will go to my grave, believe it, and that ball was greased. That ball was shimmering. Let me tell you, that ball had wax and everything on it. That ball was off. Man, that's not, no, that's, I'm still mad. Look, but he, he botched the snap, right? He fumbled the hold. He took off, tried to score, came up a yard short. He sat on the field, he was crushed. You could tell he was crushed. After the game, what did he do? He went right in front of the media and he answered questions. He took responsibility. He answered questions. He never deflected. He didn't put it on nobody else. He didn't say I shouldn't have been out there. He didn't say the ball was greasy. He made no excuses. He took it. Took it. Stood right there. Took it. And the rest of the team didn't have to worry about it. Nobody had to answer questions about it because he was there. He didn't hide. He didn't storm off like Cam Newton at the end of the Super Bowl. He didn't hide. He didn't refuse to go talk to media until days later and then post it on Twitter. Twitter didn't exist, but I'm just saying, you get my point. He was right there. And then what did he do when he came back the next year? Put up massive numbers. Franchise records. And from there, was in the league. Right? Now, here's the thing. What people forget, I think what people really do forget, because Romo was considered really good for so long... And because Romo was always compared to guys like Rodgers, Brees, Brady. Romo wasn't drafted. Romo went to a Division I AA school. Romo should have never been in the conversation with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, or Drew Brees. Should have never been in their conversation. The guy wasn't drafted out of a 1 AA school. Was a little too small. Not really as athletic as you needed him to be. Eh, journeyman kind of guy signed a ten thousand dollar contract to get on the team as an undrafted free agent worked his way up and became one of the best in the nfl still to this day one of the best qb ratings for a career of all time one of the best ever as far as qb rating goes set all the records for cowboys quarterbacks right that's what he did as an undrafted guy. He was being compared to number one overall draft picks. He was being compared to first round picks. He was being compared to franchise quarterbacks. This guy came from a 1AA school, undrafted, worked his way into that and put up numbers to rival them. And everyone said, oh, but he's not this. He, Huh? The fact that you're even comparing him to that is an accomplishment for him. And you know what else he doesn't get credit for? Up until DeMarco, you know what? We're not getting into it. We're not getting into it. <laughs> Let's just say he's never had, he never had a run, good running game, except for one season he had a good running game. What'd they do? What'd they do? 14-2. and two? Uh, I'm just saying. You want to look at the receiving cores that he had? Not very good. Some solid players. Not the best. Not the greatest. Right? You I could, I could pull the numbers. You want to talk about the offensive lines that he's had? Garbage. Bad offensive lines. When did he have a good offensive line? 14-2. and two. Okay, I'm just saying. Defenses. You want to talk about Aaron Rodgers never had a good defense. That's why they didn't win more Super Bowls. Look at the Cowboys' defenses that Romo was playing behind. Listen, the fact that they were going 8-8 eight eight was looked at as a bad thing for him. No, 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 no. They When he left, they were 4-12. So by himself, he was valued at four wins by himself. He can get you an extra four just off the rip. Just by, being, just by existing. And if you get other things around him, you get other things straight. You protect. You give him protection. Look, here's what they don't talk about. They're gonna bring up, oh, but he throws picks at the worst times. Eh. Maybe I debate that, right? I de- I'll debate that all day. No, it was ten seconds. Oh no, I'm sorry. What was it? Twenty-five seconds left in the game. Fourth and ten. Right? No, I think it was ten seconds left in the game. Fourth and ten. Right? In the divisional round against the Giants in 2007, he threw the ball to the end zone. He had no other play. What was he going to do? What was he going to throw it? So he went for it. He threw it. He said, listen, I, I got no other way to go. I got to try to force this in. He tried to force it and it got, it got picked off by R.W. McCorders. Right? But on 4th and 10, with like 10 seconds left, what is he supposed to do? Right? You're trailing 21 to 17. What are you supposed to do? That's what I'm that's, – that's a bad interception. That, that's like whatever. That's like a guy on, on, on you know, third and 20 at the 50-yard line throwing it to the one and getting it intercepted. Well, you were going to punt it the next play anyway. That's like a punt. Whatever. Nobody cares. Or that's like an interception uh, on a Hail Mary at the end of the game. Like, what, what are we going to do? you throwing it up. They're taking a the chance. Whatever. You want to talk about the game where you put up – he almost set the record? For most passing yards in the game when he went against Denver Broncos, October 13th? No. No. October 6th, 2013? Something like that. I didn't even get to watch that game. I was at my mother-in-law's wedding. <laughs> of course, the greatest game he's ever played, I didn't get to see. But he threw a crucial interception that led to the the Broncos kicking a winning field goal. But what they don't talk about is the fact that he, the offensive lineman got backed up. Backed up to him. And he ended up stepping on his foot as he was trying to throw. And that threw everything off. Caused the ball to be a little behind the receiver. The guy tripped as he was throwing it. The offensive lineman got black blocked into him. I don't know why I said Blocked into him. <laughs> hey, listen, we, we spent like 10 minutes talking about Rome, but that's it though. So a guy who should have been praised for what he was able to accomplish coming from where he was coming from. To be able to work him, himself into that position. To be as good as he was coming from where he was coming from, against all obstacles, to be able to be compared against these first round picks from these big colleges, that should be enough. So when you got Jared Goff and because he's not Aaron Rodgers, we're gonna trash him. He's uh, you know he's playing awful. We did a new quarterback. Like what are you talking about? What are you talking about? He's that's awful. Jared Goff. Jared Goff is awful. Okay. So that's why I look at guys. I say, look, like Baker Mayfield. Like y'all praise Baker Mayfield because you look, like, he's tough as nails. He's feisty. He's a fighter. No, he's a scrub. He's an average player, which is why college teams made him walk on, bro. You average, and you know what? You worked your way into a situation where you were able to play well. And guess what? Kudos to you. You worked yourself into a number one draft pick. But now when they're asking you to earn it and earn the money and you coming up average, bro, nobody's hating on you. we just acknowledging that you average. You've been average your whole life. As a quarterback, you've been average your whole life. Come on, man. Why y'all getting me worked up in here? <laughs> Whoa, man, I'm fired up. <laughs> man, let's get back on track. Listen, man. Ohio State showed out against Purdue. And I think Ohio State, I, I understand they gave up a lot of points. And initially, as the game was happening, I was getting frustrated, too. Like, man, this defense is still trash. But what I also realized is these are kids, right? And I say that, and I don't mean that like, oh, forgive them, they're kids. No, but I mean, like, you have to remember these are young guys. And if I'm up 45 to 17, like, bro, I can give up three more touchdowns, and we're still good, right? Like, there's no, there's no urgency, like there's no pressure, there's no feeling of, I can't give an inch. So you can see, a couple of the corners eh, play a little softer, you know. Yeah, we're not going after the interception like that. Like ah, we got you. We just gonna take you down. Some of the linemen like like it. It's easy. It's easy for you to kind of take. Take a little break. You know what I mean? Like, take, a, take, the, take the foot off the gas. You don't feel the same intensity to say, we got to get this stop Because it's like, no, we can, it's okay. It's okay. Right? So I think a lot of that had something to do with the amount of points that they, had, they gave up, especially late in that game. And also, like they say, like, Purdue throws the ball around the field. Like, their offense is set up to be a pass-happy offense. Everybody knows if you play corner, like, you're not stopping everybody all the time. Right? Here's what I'll say. When the game was close, or when the game was within reach, which wasn't for very long, offense and defense played well. Right? Offense played spectacular. Defense played well, did what they had to do. And I believe their defense is good enough to get to the college football playoff. Right? CJ Stroud, the, at starting the week, I don't know about now, things change so frequently, but starting the week, CJ Stroud was the favorite to win the Heisman his odds were were top right and that that just makes me that makes me feel like vindicated when i was like man you guys were so ready to trash cj stroud so early so early and even now i'm not saying it's perfect again i never thought it was perfect i never thought he was perfect i never thought he was amazing i just thought he's really really talented and he's really really good And he's got a a great skill set. He's got everything you need. He's capable of doing everything you need him to do. What he's showing in that game, and I think this week against Michigan State, and I think next week against Michigan, even in the college football playoff, because I'm surprised, I think they're going to go. I think what he's going to have the opportunity to show is his toughness, his resilience, and his competitive nature. You saw him in that Purdue game chirping a little bit, right? Chirp, chirping a little bit because people might look at him and think he's soft and he's an easygoing guy and soft-spoken. Now, this guy's a competitor, though. Don't get it twisted. He was a guy that went to the Elite 11, like not picked to do anything, worked his way to get there, got there, showed out, came out of there with a five-star rating, like impressed a lot of people, right? That's what that That's who this guy is. And so I'm happy for him. I don't think he'll get the Heisman. I think his numbers, although they're good, I guess I'm just so used to in college football seeing, like, insane numbers. And his numbers are good, but, like, they're not outrageous. You know what I mean? Like, he hasn't done anything yet. Now, if he goes out and throws five touchdowns against Michigan State and six touchdowns against Michigan and then goes into the the Big Ten Championship game and throws another five touchdowns, like, oh, yeah, Heisman. Sign sign him up. He fit him for the fit, fit him for the suit. He' ain't going. But as of right now, I, I think I think it's a good story. I think it's great for him. But I just don't, you know, I just don't think his numbers are there yet. And let me let me just readdress that dumb Uh that dum <laughs> uh, dumb on Instagram who who was saying that Ryan Day. Uh, wasn't ready to be the coach of Ohio State. He wasn't ready to handle the pressure of such a big program, such big, uh, big responsibility. After they lost to Oregon, uh, you still think that? <laughs> you still think Ryan Day is not a good enough coach? You still think he's not ready for the big time? Right? Uh, you know what I mean? How dumb does that? How dumb do you look now? Again, that's what I'm saying. Stop making these outrageous statements so early look i said before i'm not ready to say the cowboys are going to win the super bowl or even get to the super bowl i'm not ready to say Ohio state's going to win in the college football playoff i'm comfortable saying i think they're going to get there because i can see the road they have to take to get there i see the teams they have to play left uh or the teams left to play that was weird that came out weird but i see the teams they have left to play and I I am gonna favor them in those games, and I think they're gonna get the job done. I think they're good enough to beat those teams. Now, when you get into the playoff, I don't know who they're gonna play, but I'm not confident enough to say it yet. Even if in my head I think it, I'm not gonna say it yet because I need more things to come into light. And I'm not saying wait till they get there to say it, but like yo, you were you were trying to say Ryan Day wasn't capable of being the coach after week three. And he had lost like a total of four games in three years. Like went to back-to-back national championships. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. Went <laughs> went to back-to-back, the playoffs back-to-back, and went to a national championship last year and lost. And before that was a single throw away from being to back-to-back championships. That's who you're talking about. And the team he lost to was Alabama... Recognized as Nick Saban, the greatest head coach in college football history, and one of the best recruiting classes ever in college football. That's who you lost to. Now, listen, you got washed. You look bad, but like, come on now. In my first two seasons, we get to that point. Like, that's that's impressive. And one of them being a shortened season, a COVID shortened season, where you have to deal with all that, and you get COVID yourself. That's a lot. That's impressive. So you know what I got to say? Hey, hey dum, dum, your takes Garbage <laughs> and sometimes when you see John Ferris come up and I'm giving you an opinion, I'm giving you a take, sometimes I'll be right, bro. I need to take heed my for the for the year twenty four and six record with my predictions. hey man, sometimes right. Speaking of college football playoff, we have to we have to get into this. Listen, Joe Clatt, I, I love Joe Clatt. I love when he calls the games. I love his his analysis on on college football. I just love his perspective. I think he I think he thinks very logically, and I think he thinks about the bigger picture, not just the small. You know, not just the top four. He'll always tell you, it's not so my issue is not so much with the top four rankings, but everything behind it. So what he did, he was on the herd. With Colin Cowherd, one of my favorite shows. I love that show. I love that radio show. I love Colin Cowherd, too. He's, he's big and bold, brash. Sometimes he'd be absolutely off his rocker. But I, I, I like where he's coming from as well. He has a certain, this is why, this is my perspective, and I'm, everything goes filtered through that, and I respect that. Right? But Joe Clay had said that he had issues with the college football playoff committee because what they were doing was they were ranking teams a certain way to bolster the resume of the top four teams, right? And I thought, like, that's crazy. But he said, why is Auburn ranked higher than Penn State? Penn State's unranked. Auburn's ranked. Penn State beat Auburn head-to-head. And it's like, oh, because Alabama plays them. Okay. So it's like, all right, get away from everybody else, right? But why is Michigan ranked number six right now? Do we really believe Michigan is the sixth best team? There's a the sixth. Sixth. <laughs> Do, we think they were num- <laughs> Do we think they're really number six in the country? Honestly, you really think that? Do you think there's, there's only five teams better than Michigan? You're bugging. Why is Michigan State number seven? Do we really think they're the 7th best team? Why was Purdue number 19? Why was Penn State ranked where they were before they played Ohio State? Hey, you know what's interesting? Ohio State has to play Michigan State this week. They're number 7. That's a big win if they win that game. And if they lose that game, it's not that big of a drop-off. You might drop them down to 5 and hope that they beat Michigan, who's ranked number 6, who they play next week. So do you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm getting at? If the committee ranks Ohio State 4, Michigan 6, Michigan State 7, that means Ohio State's next two opponents are in the top 10. So if they lose either one of those, because no one believes they're going to lose both, you're not going to lose both. Two in a row? Nah, it's not going to happen. Nobody believes that. Not saying it's not possible. I'm saying no one believes that. You yourself listening to this wouldn't pick Ohio State to lose to Michigan State and then the next week. Lose to Michigan. You wouldn't pick it. Ohio State's too talented for you to actually logically pick that. You wouldn't think that. Okay? So if they beat Michigan State, that bolsters their resume. That's a big win over a top 10 program. If they lose to Michigan, right? If they lose to Michigan, that's still a top 10 loss. That's a good loss. If someone else loses, we can still ah, squeak them back in there. We could justify having them back in there by saying their only loss was to number six Michigan in a rivalry game on the road. So maybe there is some truth. Maybe there is some truth to the college football playoff committee ranking certain teams higher than they maybe should be to try to say, Hey, we can justify how many top 25 teams Alabama's beat even though they have a loss and Cincinnati doesn't. Cincinnati has no losses. They're going to finish undefeated, but eh. Uh, who they beat beat notre dame well notre dame is getting knocked down the polls a little bit we we don't really respect them as much because they're independent i'm just saying maybe might be something to it might be something to it is all i'm saying i'm not saying for sure i'm just saying it's not the craziest theory in the world switching gears let's let's I want to I revisit something that came up last year, and I even I thought last year it was done, but I didn't have a show. I wasn't doing this podcast last year, so I had nobody to talk to about it. So I was just like a crazy man, talk to myself. I'd be at work, and I'd be talking, yes, out loud to myself. <laughs> Having conversations like I'm doing now, except I wasn't talking into a microphone and then sharing that audio file to the world. I was just saying it out loud, and it was going into the atmosphere. But what kept coming up last year was Belichick versus Brady. Oh, their whole entire time together, their tenure together, was always is does is, more credit. Who deserves more credit, Belichick or Brady? Belichick or Brady? Now, this is, this is a fascinating topic to me, right? Because I think the answer is so obvious but so boring. The answer is 50-50. 50-50. Bill Belichick is a great coach. Every player that played for him will tell you, great coach. Tom Brady's a great quarterback. Every player that's played with him, great quarterback. Every coach that's coached him, great quarterback. A great coach with a great quarterback, you get the Patriots dynasty. Great coach, no great quarterback, you get a lot of wins, not a lot of Super Bowls. Right? It happens. It happens. (laughs) Right? So you need both elements to have that level of dominance. There's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with saying that. It's both. 50-50. Brady wouldn't have the Super Bowls he has without the coaching from Belichick and the defensive game plans against their opposition, Belichick wouldn't have the Super Bowls he has if not for Tom Brady's command of the offense and being able to get things done in crunch time and do exactly what they need him to do. Listen, Tom Brady didn't always put up the massive numbers in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady was excellent at doing exactly what they needed him to do. He got the job done. Got the job done. Did exactly what they needed. And the one time... The one time in the Super Bowl, things weren't in sync. You didn't have the great coaching with the great quarterback play. It was off, was the the Super Bowl against the Eagles. The Eagles offense ran and did whatever they wanted against that Patriots defense. That was Belichick being off. Belichick controls the defense. He's a defensive-minded coach. He has the gameplay. He knows what they want to do. He knows what to attack. He's hands-on with it. He was off that day. Tom Brady was on. Tom Brady was lighting up the Eagles, putting up massive numbers, right? Setting records. The problem was he didn't have that other half that he needed to get the job done. And What did everybody say? Who deserves the blame? Okay. Well, if Belichick deserves the blame for that because the defense didn't come up well, then who deserves the credit for the game against the Rams in 2001? That Super Bowl where they held the highest-scoring offense in history, to 17 points. That's You know what I'm saying? Tom Brady did what he had to do that game, got the job done. Belichick did what he had to do, got the job done. Magic, we win Super Bowl champs. Right? And every once in a while, things are going well. Tom Brady did what he had to do in 2007 against the Giants. Threw that touchdown, right? Threw that touchdown to Randy Moss to make it 14-10. to Gave the ball back to Eli. Listen, man, they made a good play. Tyree caught it against his helmet. Like, hey, man, it happens. Just, you know. Asante Samuel lets the interception go right through his hands on the sideline. Like, it's nobody's fault, bro. It just happens. You just have moments in games like that where things just happen, bro. It just wasn't for you. But I always thought the argument was stupid. So what happened was Tom Brady leaves Belichick. And everyone says, oh, we finally get the answer. We're, finally get the answer. We're going to get the answer to the question we've been asking, who deserves the credit? Because if, if Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay and wins a Super Bowl, whoa that's an indictment on, on Belichick. And if Belichick doesn't win a Super Bowl with the Patriots, then, oh, that's an indictment on he needed Brady. No, 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 no. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Right off the bat, you're wrong. Your, your logic is flawed. There's 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 other factors that determine if somebody's gonna win. Tom Brady went to a great situation in Tampa Bay. Everybody said it. You said it. In one breath, you said, oh, look at what he's inheriting in Tampa Bay. What a great setup. Great, great skilled players, good offensive line on the come up, good offensive minded coach. He's finally gonna have the the, 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 the skilled players he needs to make an impact. Yeah, he did, and he did. He did, and he did. I said it. <laughs> Slow it down, it makes sense, right? Belichick, on the other hand, after Brady left, had to find a quarterback now, okay, well, we're gonna we'll bring in Cam Newton and hope that you know he could muster something and do what we need him to do, but Cam Newton wasn't good for what they needed him to do, right? I'm not going to say Cam is was washer, he's trash, he's all right, he's average, just like Baker Mayfield he's average but. He didn't fit what they needed him to do. His skill set wasn't that, right? So it didn't work. But what also happened was they had a lot of players hold out. They had a lot of guys hold out because of COVID. They said, we're going to sit this one out. Our team's not going to be very, we don't believe our team's going to be very good. I'm able to sit out at no penalty. I'm going to sit this one out. Right, they had a lot, of guys, a lot of key defensive players doing that. You look it up. It's not my responsibility to, to educate you. <laughs> I'm giving you opinions and hot takes, baby. You look it up. <laughs> and you'll see. They had a lot of key defensive players out. But overall, to be 7-9 and nine is a pretty good season. All things considered. And Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. And everyone said, see, see what happens. It was Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Now look. Patriots looks pretty good, don't they? They look pretty good. Mac Jones looks pretty good. Why? And I said it a couple weeks ago. There's never been a more perfect fit. Like that he's able to do exactly what they need him to do. He's perfect for what exa- he's exactly what they want. And that's a beautiful thing, man. He don't have to be good. Listen, pre-draft, everyone talked about, oh, can he do this? Can he do this? We don't who cares? If I'm a team, can he do what I need him to do? I don't need him to do anything else. Can he do the things that I want my quarterback to do? If the answer is yes, draft him. He doesn't have to be the best athlete. He doesn't have to have the greatest arm. He doesn't have to have the most accuracy. Can he do the things you want him to do? I don't need a running, a guy, I don't need my quarterback to run a 4-3 if I'm not asking the quarterback to run. What good does that do me? It's just a waste. I don't need a guy to throw the ball 90 yards in the air if I'm not asking him to throw the ball deep right? That's what I'm saying. And the Patriots got the guy who did exactly what they needed him to do to perfection. And he's starting to get better. As a rookie, obviously, you learn some things. You get more comfortable in your routine. I think that's one of the things that I think is very vastly underappreciated or underrated or underspoken of. When you're a rookie, developing your routine, because you've been doing something in college for three years, right? you've had a routine. We play on this day, we do this on this day, da, da 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 da. You get comfortable. Then you go to NFL and it's a total different thing. Totally different. You have no other responsibilities other than football. And then outside of football, whatever you want to do is yours. That's your life. You do whatever you want. But you got to find a house now. You got to find a place to live. You got to move in. You got this now. You got to learn a new city. Like there's a lot of stuff going on as a rookie. So early in the year, you might struggle a little bit. That's understandable, right? That's part of it. That's part of the process. There's a reason why I haven't come on here and trashed Trevor Lawrence. Even though I think Justin Fields should have been the pick. Look, You got Trevor Lawrence. That's fine. I'm not going to criticize none of these guys too harshly. Because you need a year or two to kind of get your rhythm, get your flow, figure out what you are, what you like, what you don't like. You need to see the league. You need to go through some games. Some A season, an off season is important. Like all that. I'm going to start judging you next year. This season, I'm judging potential. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. But like Mac Jones now seems like he's starting to get his rhythm, his flow. He's starting to believe in this is who I am and this is what I'm going to be and this is what I'm going to do. And that's a real patriot way. That's like, yo, do your job. Just do what we're asking you to do. Don't do no more, no less. Do what we're asking you to do and we're going to win. So now it looks stupid. Oh, was it Brady or was it Belichick? Well, Belichick... Wasn't isn't a bad coach now? Was Belichick overrated? Was it Brady all along? No, dumb dumb. It was both. He why can't he be a great coach because he has a great quarterback? So Mike McCarthy's not a good coach because he had Aaron Rodgers and they won, but they only won because they had Aaron Rodgers. Because without Aaron Rodgers, blah. Like no, he's a good coach. I'm not saying he's great, but he's a good coach, right? Like that. These statements, man. I think, I just, I'm telling you, these statements that people make are so crazy. Everybody's so ready to just declare, make a declaration. Let's have a hot take. Let's have a strong opinion that we can argue over every day until the season starts up again. I'm not buying it no more. Y'all stupid. <laughs> Y'all some dumb dumps. I'm the only one that makes sense. Man. You know what else that reminds me of? Look, I never understood... I never understood why Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, all these guys always get all the credit when they win. Oh, he makes everybody better. Oh, this team, blah, 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 they're so good with him. Look, you could take any receiver and give him to Aaron Rodgers and that receiver is going to be good. Right? That's what they say. That's what they say. But then when they lose, when things aren't going well, the first thing they want to do is they want to point out the support and cast. Well, hold up now. Hold up. Hold up. So let me get this right. So Aaron Rodgers, if I say yo, Aaron Rodgers only has one Super Bowl in his career, fifteen years. Only has one Super Bowl. So was that like ain't that good? But the first thing they're gonna, first thing they're gonna bring up to you, the defense. Oh, the defense, the defense wasn't playing. He never had a good defense. And the one year he had a good defense, they won the Super Bowl. So if he had had a good defense, they would have won. Okay. Okay, then when they won that Super Bowl because of the defense, why did he get all the credit? Why didn't anyone come out and say, oh, man, that defense really helped them win a championship. That defense really carried them to a championship. Don't worry. Same thing happened with Peyton Manning and the Colts. Peyton Manning always got away with not winning Super Bowls because they blamed it on the defense. Then the one year the defense played well and they went to the Super Bowl and they won it, all of a sudden Peyton Manning finally finally got the monkey off his back. Finally Peyton Manning got a championship. Nobody talked about the defense. Nobody gave the defense credit. Nobody said. Nobody said anything silly like, "Oh, he needs to thank that defense for what they did." But you know what they do to Trent Dilfer? Only got the Super Bowl because of that defense, right? You see, that makes sense to y'all. Is that not crazy to anybody else? We gonna credit this guy for every win they get. We're gonna say it was him. He elevated everybody. But when they lose. It ain't him. It's everybody else sucks. Well, what happened to the elevation? Why were you able to elevate them for 10 weeks, 15 weeks out of the season, but on week 16, you couldn't elevate no more? Now you need everyone else to elevate on their own and elevate you. You need them to pick you up. (laughs) Don't make no sense, bro. Look. You're not winning a Super Bowl with a garbage defense. It's not happening. You're not winning the Super Bowl with a garbage offense. You need the offense to make plays. You need them to make plays when you need them to make plays. Maybe you don't need them to make many. Maybe you only need a couple. And guess what? In 2000, the Baltimore Ravens only needed that offense to make a couple plays a game. And guess what they did? They made a couple plays a game. That was it. That's all they needed. A couple plays. That's all we need. We'll be good and they did what they needed him to do, right, so you can't, you got to stop giving credit to a guy, but then not wanting to give him blame, because the same reason why you're giving him credit is the same reason he deserves the blame, because if he's the head of the franchise, if he's making all the decisions, if he's controlling everything, if he's getting his guys, if this is the guy that he wanted, if he has say in player personnel, when those players don't come through, whose fault is it, this is what you wanted, bro, this is what you wanted. Hey, you wanted Randall Cobb? He ain't playing well. It's Randall Cobb's fault. No, it's yours. You brought him here. You wanted him here. We did this for you. They try to talk about, oh, uh, I'm you know what? I'm I'm all over the place today. Here, let me tell you what happened. Normally I record in the morning. <laughs> right? Normally I wake up, get an energy drink, you know, I come out, I come out of the trash can studios. I sit down, i chill i start the i start the podcast, I start recording in the morning. we do it early morning today now, nah, for reasons i can't I can't say i just i didn't plug my phone in last night, I didn't set no alarm, like I overslept, and when I woke up, we were taking my son to go get pictures with Santa, spoiler alert, he ain't want to do it. <laughs> He said, "Nah, I'm not doing it," and he refused to go. We couldn't make him because then he's gonna scream and cry, and the picture's gonna be terrible. So we didn't do it. But anyway, so I couldn't. I didn't want to go record because we wanted to get to the mall early before it got crowded with people trying to take pictures with Santa. So I couldn't record. So I was like, ah, I don't really have the free. I'm gonna feel pressed for time, so I'll do it later. So I'm recording later, later at night, right? I'm recording at night, and maybe that's got me a little more fired up. Maybe that's got me a little more. Awaken all over the place. Because, you know, when I'm tired, I can kind of just, you know, look at my my show notes and say, let's do this topic. And then we'll do this topic. But now I got all these things. My brain is fully awake. I've been up all day. So now I'm firing all over the place. So my apologies if this is coming off real scatterbrained, if I'm going all over the place. Like, I hope this is making some narrative sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hope so. So got my notes here. And I want to, you know, I have to, listen, I have to, I have to. It's too, it's too, it's priceless. Listen, look, I said early in the year, and listen, full full disclosure, I'm, I'm kind of rooting against Matt Stafford and the Rams. <laughs> I said in the offseason, like week one, I said, why are you trading for Matt Stafford? Why are you trading Shariqov? That seems like a linear move. It seems like you're not getting dramatically better in terms of your outcome. Right, Not saying the player's talent level is the same. Not saying their skill level is the same. But what I'm saying is I think Matthew Stafford is going to have the same level of success in terms of wins and losses as Jared Goff would. Right? That's what I think. I think that. I do. For the Rams. Again, for the Rams. Not everybody... Matthew Stafford's more talented than Jared Goff. He's a better quarterback than Jared Goff, and that's why he can put up better numbers and probably produce a better result in Detroit than, than than Jared Goff can. Jared Goff does need players around him. He's not the guy that you can say, oh, he's great enough to put anybody there and he'll be great. No, he needs things to be proper, right? I'll acknowledge that, and I never said he was carrier franchise. I just said you put him in a good situation, that's the guy. If they load up this offseason on offensive talent, watch what he does watch his numbers I that's what I'm saying but I thought it was a linear move in terms of outcome I thought your team is probably gonna be about what you would be with Jared Goff and it started off great right oh great Matt Stafford was putting up insane numbers it was wild and I had to come in here week after week looking like a dum-dum still defending the point Again, because I never said Matthew Stafford was bad. Or I just said when does Matthew Stafford ever came through and made you feel like yeah, he's the guy. I think he's got something like a seven and forty five record against winning teams or something crazy. He's got some crazy record against winning teams. He doesn't do well. Late in the season, every year, he kinda has a little drop off. The beginning of the year always starts great. End of the year kind of tails off a little bit, and it ends up being right around his average numbers. Because, again, we are what we are. We can have a hot start. We can have a hot finish. But at the end of the day, when you average it all up, you're going to get an average. And that's what you are. You are what your numbers say you are, right? So last week, Matt Stafford didn't play well. Played terrible. Right? And then they went out and they signed Odell Beckham, Jr. Do I have to say the Jr.? Is that disrespectful if I don't say Jr.? My bad. I don't mean to disrespect you, bro. Odell Beckham Jr., they signed him. And they're going all in. They got, like, no draft picks for, like, the next couple of years. They've traded draft picks. Whatever. We don't care about assets. We're trying to build this team. We want to win a Super Bowl. They're going all in. There's no more excuses. Matthew Stafford, his entire time in Detroit, his defenders have said, Matthew Stafford is ultra-talented, but the team around him sucks. Put him in a better situation. And he's going to win games. He's going to win a Super Bowl. Okay, he's in the perfect situation. He's got who's considered to be a great offensive-minded young head coach, right? Already been to a Super Bowl. Obviously a really good coach. People will credit him for making Jared Goff look good. I think that's BS, but hey, that's my opinion. He's got all the offensive weapons you could want. Now, Robert Woods went down with ACL, but you're replacing him with Odell Beckham, who I said, if you remember last week, would be a great number two. I don't think he's a number one. I don't think he ever was a number one. I think he'll be great as a number two. He's in that role now. Cooper Cup is your number one. This guy's the number two. Okay? So you have those two. That's a c- c- great start. You got a running game that's solid. You got an offensive line that's solid. Your defense has, like, come on, man. You got Aaron Donald on the line, right? And you have Jalen Ramsey in the secondary. Come on. what? You got, come on. I don't even need to, do I need to get into it? Oh, we agree, right? The Rams defense is good. Okay. Not just on paper either. Not just like a paper good, like they got good names. No, but they're good, like they're a good team. Right? So there's no more excuses. There's no more excuses. The Rams are loaded with talent. They are geared up for a Super Bowl. If Matthew Stafford doesn't win big. Now, we do have to define, right? Again, Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl. So, Matthew Stafford, you don't have to go to a Super Bowl this year. That's That'd be silly. You can not go. But you better not go into the play. You better not fall apart now. They've lost two in a row, right? Is it two in a row they lost? Matthew Stafford against the 49ers, it looked like he was pressing, man. It looked like he was coming off a bad game, trying to prove that he's, you know, that doesn't bother him. And I, 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 I don't trust it, man. I don't trust it. I never did. I never have trusted Stafford to be that guy that takes you over the hump. I don't. I just don't. He wasn't that guy in college. When was Matt... You know what? Again, I'm getting loud. Let me chill. Let me chill. (laughs) Listen, Matthew Stafford was always a good player. A good player. At times, can elevate to really good. Most of the time, good player. Right? So when you traded for him, your expectation was, we got Matthew Stafford. Because for whatever reason, he's maintained that hype around him. Coming out as the number one overall pick, he's always maintained that feeling of, this guy, he's the guy. Well, I mean, sure. But, like, he's not. (laughs) So when you traded for him, it should have been, oh, we Got an upgrade over Jared Goff. But, you know, that's it. It's not a crazy upgrade. But they immediately became like the Super Bowl favorites. Like the talk of the town. Like, oh my God. Well, now Stafford, it's on you. And I want all of you fans to watch closely and see what happens. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll prove me wrong and show that now he is the guy he is going to elevate. He is going to take his game to the next level now that he's in a next level situation. Maybe. Or... Maybe this is an example an example, of when I can come back and say, sometimes I'll be right. Hey, man. Or maybe it'll be a wash. Maybe it'll be a little bit of both. I don't know. Maybe. So we're going to switch gears now, right? I want to switch gears and I want to touch on some boxing news because there's some big boxing news. So first, let me, you know, what? let me get that out the way. So Canelo beat Caleb Plant, right? Knocked him out. And for the next week, I, I kept seeing videos and I kept reading articles and seeing so much, so much hate, right? Well, first of all, the first thing was, what's next? Who's next? Who are you fighting next? Like, bro, he just fought four times in the last year. Give him a break. Give him a break. He probably should take until May. He should. He should probably wait until at least May to come back, right? Take some time off. Get your body right. You know what I mean? That has to take a toll on you. Going through that many training camps, keeping yourself in that great shape for that long, going through these fights, going through sparring, all this stuff. Yo, relax. Chill. Okay? But outside of them saying who's next, it immediately turned into a bashing fest over who his opponents were. Because he was getting credit as running through the division in 11 months. Right? And people were like, oh, but look who we beat. It's like, yo, but those are the champions. It's not like he went and like fought anyone, and they just—it was a bunch of vacant belts. Like he had to fight to get the belt. So he beat a guy for a belt. He went and beat another guy for a belt. Who's who else has the belts? That guy's got the belt. I'll beat him, and then the last guy I'm gonna fight is that guy, and I'm gonna beat him for the belt, and I'm gonna have all of the belts. How else is he supposed to get them? listen let's not forget canelo is the number one in the world number one pound for pound number one money guy he's the king of boxing right so if he says hey i want to go fight the heavyweight champ like the governing bodies are not going to say no you have to you have to take three fights and as a heavyweight first no they're gonna be like yo this is canelo sure you want to do it let's go ahead we'll sanction it sure (laughs) We'll give you a free pass. You can you can immediately become number one contender for the heavyweight division. You can supersede everybody else because you're Canelo. And guess what? I agree with that. He should be able to. As the cash cow, as the biggest name in boxing, as the biggest draw, as the number one pound for pound, you do what you want, man. Whatever you do is going to highlight everything around you. See, because unlike Jake Paul, who I'm going to talk to in a minute, what Canelo does for boxing is... Whoever he fights, like, it. all right. So, for example, he made the unification of the, the, the super middleweight a thing, right? He, that, that now is forever going to be a thing. You're going to have to be unified. You need to unify all of them, right? And he is just, he's the guy. He's going to draw. Wherever he fights, sell out. Pay per view numbers are gonna be crazy. He's gonna get big numbers. People are gonna watch. Everybody's gonna watch. Fight fans will watch. So if I'm, if I'm, so, so this week, Eddie so his trainer, came out and asked, you know, if they could be, if they could get uh, uh, approval to fight. Um, e, I'm gonna try to say this: Iyango, Macumbo, Makambo. Makambo. Macumbo. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but anyway, he's fighting a cruiserweight, a cruiserweight champion. That's what he wants to do next. He wants to go get his fifth belt, and well, he wants to go get a belt in his fifth weight class, right? And now immediately online, the hate is spewing in about, oh, he's ducking this guy, he's ducking that guy, he's ducking that guy. And that's always been the knock, right? I heard it after the plant fight. Everyone was talking about why didn't he fight this? Who's he going to fight next? Maybe he should fight this guy. Maybe he should fight that guy. And so you're asking him he should move up to 175 to fight the two best 175-pounders in the world. Why? Bro, why why are you trying to have him go in there against guys he don't need to be in there with? If Canelo at this point says, yo... I'm going to fight a couple cupcakes for the next two years. For the next two years, I'm 31. i worked my arse off to get to this point. I've worked like crazy, okay? I've, I've, I came to 168. I beat all of the champions at 168, the last two of which, Billy Joe Saunders and Caleb Plant, were really good boxers who some people picked to beat me. I'm going to hold on to the, I'm going to fight some cupcakes. And by cupcakes, I mean some guys who were not considered to be top level, kind of like an Avni Yildirim which is like okay you're not bad but you're clearly not on the same level you probably you not you have no chance of winning but i'm going to fight one or two of those next year and then after that we'll see what happens he should have the right to say that he should have the right to do that right he's not calling himself the greatest of all time he's not calling himself tbe okay he's just saying he wants to he wants to make history hey so all you charlo fans hey all right I want to make history. I can either, A, have Charlo move up to 168, all right, move up to 168 and fight him for all of my belts, but he has nothing to offer me. Fighting Charlo is not the biggest payday for me. It's not the biggest draw for me. It's not the biggest fight I can make. So I'm literally fighting him to satisfy you. It brings me nothing. If he beats Charlo, what does it mean? You're just going to say, oh, well, now you have to fight Benavidez. And if he beats him, it's like, oh, well, now you have to fight that guy. It's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So, hey, I can either fight Charlo, have him move up to 168 and fight Charlo, or I can fight this guy at 200 as a champion and I can get a belt in my fifth weight class. Right? Which one would you do? Coming off of four fights in a year, take this fight, who might be easier skill-wise, because he might not be as good a boxer, As charlo but he's bigger and he's stronger it's gonna be a more it's gonna be a tougher fight in terms of physicality but then i can if i win i get that belt i can now be a cruiserweight that's a fifth division that's a fifth weight class i get a belt in that's historic right i can make history or i could just fight this guy for nothing for nothing there's no benefit that's what he said to, to Andre. When Andre said, yo, when you going to fight me? He said, for what? What have you done? Who have you fought? What have you done? And I think everyone took it as like, oh, he, he ducked him. But no, I think what he's saying is, listen, all I'm trying to do in my limited time here is take fights and fight guys who the outcome could be historic. I don't think he fights Billy Joe Saunders if there's no belt. If he's not trying to unify 168, he's not fighting Billy Joe. If there's no belt to unify, he's not fighting Caleb Plant. He didn't fight them because he wanted to fight them. He fought them because they have the belts, and I want the belt. So I'm going to fight the guy who has the belt. You think he cared about Callum Smith? Callum Smith had the belt. He had to go take it. I need the belt. This is the guy who has the belt. I got to fight him. He don't care. Last time he fought a guy for that reason was probably Landy Lara. Where he fought him because you're talking so much trash. I want to fight you now. Other than that, everybody he's fight. He didn't even fight Triple G because, like, he wanted the belt. (laughs) That was it. He wanted the belt. Triple G had it. It was a big money fight, so sure. I don't think he ever would have fought Triple G if that if he didn't if there was nothing for him to get. Because you gotta remember, man, boxing is hard. Boxing takes a lot out of you. Canelo doesn't. Canelo trains hard. Canelo has committed his life to it. He's 31 now. He's fought like 64 times. What is he, like 56, 1 and 2? Come on, bro. Come on, man. He fought four times in the last year. He's not trying to just fight for the sake of fighting. He's not trying to fight because, oh, this is to show that I'm really the best in the world. No, I need something for this. I need a belt. I need something historic. I need there to be a reason to fight you outside of just you want to fight and it could be an interesting fight for the fans. No, man, I want to do historic stuff. He moved up to fight Kovalev. Why? Because Kovalev had a belt. Whoever had the belt, he would have fought. Now, listen. Let me take that back. Obviously, of the people you could fight for a piece of the light heavyweight title, that was the best option. Sure. Sure. <laughs> But why doesn't Andre fight Charlo? They're both at 160. They both say nobody wants to fight me. Fight each other. Why doesn't Charlo want to fight Andre? Why doesn't Andre want to fight Charlo? That's a fight that could happen for both of y'all. Nope, they're not going to take it. They don't want it. They want Canelo. It's the bigger payday. It's the bigger payday. And why do they want to fight Canelo? I'm not going to minimize them and say it's just a the payday. They want to be the guy to beat Canelo. Because that would be historic. That would be a big deal. That would mean something. That's just not a payday. That's just not a good fight for the fans. If you beat Canelo at this point, that's a big deal. And they want to be the guy to do it. But what you have to understand is you're not going to go fight some other dude just for the sake of fighting. Because he's calling you out. Because you're going to say, yo, you know who I am? I'm the champ. I'm not just going to fight you just because. Because I'm putting my belt up. I'm putting my well being up, my health up, and for what? For you? Like if I beat you, it don't mean nothing. I want real I want fights that mean something. What you have to understand is if you're calling out Canelo, it always is gonna mean more for Canelo than or more for you than it is for Canelo. That's why Canelo has to go find the challenges and going to fight for cruiserweight against this guy who listen, I don't know him. Never heard of him, I'm be honest. I never heard of him. But now that I know that this is what Canelo wants, I'll probably look into him and see what I think. Right off the rip I already told you, I'm done. I'm done doubting Canelo. If Canelo says he's fighting the guy, I believe that he thinks he can fight the guy. And it's not based on he thinks he's that good. He sees something or he's experienced something where he feels like, oh, I can handle that. Right? That's just the way I feel. So I'm going to favor Canelo, obviously. Because how many times am I supposed to go in and be like, well, I don't know. But I'll, I'll, I'll look into the guy. I'll do some research. I'll formulate an opinion and come back and tell y'all what I think. But it just annoys me that it's like, stop calling that guy out for cherry picking. If I move up from 168 to 200, it's not cherry-picking. If I'm fighting a guy with a belt, it's not cherry-picking. Right? You know what cherry-picking would be? Fighting Triple G right now. If he decided my next fight is against Triple G, does anyone really think Triple G's beating Canelo at this point? At this stage of both their careers, do you think he's beating Canelo? No. No. Not at 168? Hell no. At 168? No. 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 Triple G had a tough time in both of those fights. Now, listen. I thought Triple G won the first one on points. I thought Canelo danced around and ran around a little too much and gave up a few rounds. I don't think Triple G outclassed him. I don't think Triple G was better. I just think that Canelo gave up some rounds. Right? And when he stood toe-to-toe, I thought he won the second fight. It was close, but he won it. So now what do you think is going to happen in the third fight? All of a sudden, Triple G is just going to go to the Fountain of Youth and get something new? No, that would be cherry-picked. That would be take a guy who's a big name but really poses no threat. Right? But you're not. You're moving up in weight to go against a guy who's bigger than you. Like, Canelo is going to come into the fight at maybe 200. Maybe he can get to 200. That guy's coming in bigger than 200. <laughs> like, he's going he to cut weight to get to 200. You know what I'm saying? That's a big ask. That's a challenge. It doesn't matter how skilled the dude is, the dude is much bigger than you. He's much bigger. And he's used to hitting much bigger guys. And he's used to getting hit by much bigger guys. Do you think your power is going to translate at that level? That's a challenge. Stop minimizing what he's trying to do. Obviously, it's not the greatest challenge he could have. From what I understand, he's not the best cruiserweight in the world. He's not the top guy. But he is one of the champions. And if you beat him, that's a legitimate belt that you have. And that's a legitimate challenge. And we should respect that. Right? What we shouldn't respect. Is the stupidity. Of this Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury fight. I know. I don't want to go into it. I don't. I don't want to. But I have to. I got to talk about it. Here's what happened. Here's my, here's my theory. Here's where I have to talk about it. Because I don't want to necessarily talk so much about this. I kind of do want to talk about Showtime. So it was my understanding that Showtime signed Jake Paul to a three fight deal, right? The first fight was the uh Tyron Woodley fight. The second fight, even before that fight, was rumored that they wanted him to fight Tommy Fury next. So we all so I said coming into it, don't talk like you calling out Tommy Fury. This isn't your choice. This, they made you do this, right. This is what they want to do because, again, Showtime needs to make their money back. They probably gave them a good amount of money. And I think after the Tyron Woodley fight, they said, all right, this is a step up for you. We need to take another step up because what we need is we need the next fight to do even better. We're trying to escalate this because we would love to sign you to another deal if it works out. If you make us the money, we get the stuff we need. We would love to sign you to another deal, another extension or whatever. In that third fight, we need to be even a bigger step up. So... First of all, let me talk to you about Jake Paul. So Jake Paul, to me, annoys me. He annoys me because I feel like he talks out of both sides of his mouth. I feel like what he really wants is to just kind of get you to buy in enough to where you buy the fight. And then he makes his money and he goes on. I don't think Jake Paul cares about winning or losing as a boxer, as a fighter, as a man. I think Jake Paul doesn't want to lose because he wants to keep the gravy train going. Right? I think the minute he loses, I think there's a strong consideration that I might be done with this and I'm just going to stick into the promotions. Why do I feel that way? Because he did it with YouTube. He was making money on YouTube, built his whole following on YouTube. Something else came up that was more lucrative, that was a little easier to take care of, didn't require as much attention. He was interested in that now. Leave you two behind. I'm I'm a boxer now. He now has his promotion. MVP promotions, right? Or MVP. Is it MVP promotions? Because wouldn't that be most valuable promotions, promotions? So, MV promotions. <laughs> I don't know. I might be overthinking that one. But anyway, so he's already got his promotional company. He's already got his fighter signed. I can't remember her name, but she's legit. She's legit. But she's already signed... To his promotion company, so he's promoting her fights. And so he's already kind of set the stage for like, "I'm, I'm going to do promotions now." And he obviously has a huge following. He obviously is a polarizing figure, and obviously would be great at promoting fights, right? Gaining interest. That's one thing he's really good at. No one can ever take that away from him. He's really good at drumming up interest. OK? But what he also does is I watch an interview. Where they said, if Tommy Fury loses to you, is it over for his career? And he said, yeah. That's fine. But his reason was annoying and telling. And he said, if Tommy Fury wants to be a champion, he wants to be a world champion one day. So if he loses to me, then he, he can't box anymore. So what do you mean if he loses to you? I thought you were legit. I thought you were real deal. I thought you were big time. I thought you could beat Canelo. So if he loses to you, who's a legit boxer, a legit fighter, someone who can give the pound-for-pound pound king a run for his money, then why would he have to end his career? Wouldn't he just say, hey, listen, I just went up against one of the best? No, what you're saying is if he loses to a guy like me who's barely good at boxing, then he there's no chance he has against the champions. So I think it was a slip-up. I think what he was trying to do was insult Tommy Fury and minimize... The pressure on him or the expectations like he always does. Tyron Woodley told you he does that. He tells you all the time, oh, I'm just a Disney kid. I'm just a YouTuber. He's not. He's a fighter now. He's in the fighting ring. He's a fighter. Treat him as a fighter. Look at him as a fighter. Prepare for him as a fighter. But he himself is saying, if you lose to me, you got to give it up because there's no way you could beat anybody else if you can't beat me. I just thought that was weird, man. I thought that was weird. So here's... So here's why. Here's what I really want to talk about with this, though. So it was interesting. To me. Like I said, I think, I think Showtime signed him to a three-fight deal. I think that was the first report. I haven't tried to go back and see if that was still the case, but I, I think that's the case. Here's what I think happened. I think when they signed him, I think they got a lot of money. I think they generated a lot of revenue for the Tyron Woodley fight, and it worked out great. But do you know what happened since that fight? They got the Canelo and Caleb Plant fight, which apparently did 800,000 plus pay-per-view buys, which is a really big number. It also generated like $60 million at the gate. Like it was a massive success, a huge successful fight. I think Showtime made their money back and some. I think with the Canelo fight, I think they got their money that they paid out for that. They made that back and they made out the money they paid for Jake Paul. So between his first fight against Tyron Woodley and the Canelo-Plant fight, I think they're good. I don't think they care at all what Jake Paul does from now on. Why do I say that? Because look who's fighting on the undercard. Darren Williams versus Frank Gore. Huh? Yeah, you heard me. Former point guard of the Utah Jazz and Brooklyn Nets. Darren Williams. Yeah, often injured Darren Williams is fighting the running back. Running back ex-running back retired running back frank Gore. they're fighting a boxing match both of their pro debut on this undercard you know what you didn't see on the tyron woodley jake paul fight you didn't see amateur undercards you didn't see celebrity fights you saw legit fights legit boxers hey every one of these fights is a legit boxer you want to say that the Anthony Taylor going against Tommy Fury, Anthony Taylor making his pro debut, his first boxing match? Sure, but Tommy Fury is a real fighter. He's a real boxer. Legitimate. It was all real boxers, real fighters. It wasn't none of this gimmicky stuff. So what do they have now? They have Frank Gore versus Darren Williams. Why? That's weird. Why would you do that? I think Tyron Woodley exposed Jake Paul to Showtime. I think Showtime saw, ooh, he, he ain't no good. He not he not good. He's not good enough to the game plan I think was Tyron Woodley, Tommy Fury, legitimate boxer. Like maybe throw him in there with some, with somebody real, somebody big. Like a big boxer, right? Make it one of those like, "Oh my this could this could catapult him to where he wants to get to or derail him, but that third fight we're going to make big money because that's going to be a legit boxer." Right? I think they had it all set up. I think they had the whole out the framework. But I think that fight against Tyron Woodley showed them, oh, this this kid's going to get hurt against a real boxer. So they reluctantly said, let's do the Tommy Fury fight. Because, hey, uh, if he loses, whatever, uh, whatever. If he wins, great. We're not going to put him in there with somebody else. But then they made their money back with the Canelo fight. Because they didn't know they were going to get the Canelo-Plant fight before. Canelo was a free agent, could have fought on any network. <clears throat> so they, they didn't know they were going to get that. So once they got that deal done, they said, all right, who cares about Jake Paul? He's going to do this three-fight deal, and we could either take it or leave it. We got to have him fight Fury. What can we do? We have to have a third fight. What can we do? Well, who's, who, would, who would Jake Paul fight next? We don't want him to go move up in ranks against better boxers than Tommy Fury. Because if he loses, he loses his credibility. We know he's not on that level. We probably don't even want to watch it. People aren't going to watch it. They already know what's going to happen. The, The show's over, guys. I'm not one who thinks that you lose one fight and it's over for you. But, hey, man, that's just... That's what it's looking like. Right? It's looking like that's the case. Right? But then... So then you go through and you say, "Huh, what can we do?" If he wins, we don't we don't want to still we still don't want to move him up. So what can we do? I got it. Let's get two guys of his level or a lower level to fight on the undercard and then they could be kind of set up as his next opponent. That's all this is. I 100% believe Showtime is thinking whoever wins at a Gore versus Williams is going to call out Jake Paul after the fight and say, I want to fight Jake Paul. Right. He's going to call him out. Jake Paul, win or lose, is going to fight that guy next. Listen, let's not ignore the black versus white element. That's a thing. That's a thing. When it comes to the celebrity boxing, like, look, Nate Robinson versus Jake Paul, why was that hyped? Because, y'all, no way this white boys beating Nate Robinson. That's what I heard. That's all I heard, right? That There's an element to it. What'd they say uh, uh, about Tyron Woodley? You got to do it. You got to do it for the black folks, man. You got to do it for the brothers. You, you got to take this white boy out. That's what it was. I'm not crazy. I'm not saying it's it's that for me. I'm saying I heard it. So now you've got these two former athletes. Athletes. Who are now getting into boxing. And one of them, I promise you. Just just pay attention. One of them, whoever wins that fight, is calling out Jake Paul. And Jake Paul is going to pretend to be all offended. Like, you know what? I'm going to have to show you. There's levels. Now, if he loses... (laughs) That's even better because then you can sit down and say, most people will say, all right, well, he took a step up too far and he's not on that level. But he's going back down to where he's supposed to be. And we can watch that for entertainment value. And then other people are going to say he lost. And now the winner of Gore or Darren Williams can now talk trash about the fact that you lost. You lost. You got a loss. You got beat up. You got beat up. And that'll fuel the fire of like old. Now Jake Paul can play the angry role. Right? But either way, I think they know that next fight ain't getting the same level of attention. But they have to hold it because they signed a contract. So unless they want to avoid the contract and give them a big payout, which I don't think they want to do, they're going to host the event. It's going to be a smaller event and a smaller venue. Less expectations. The price will probably drop dramatically. And it's going to be against either Gore Williams. And for me... The fact that I see it that way, I kind of feel like Showtime was worried about what they were going to do as far as boxing, jumped in early on Jake Paul, got their money back already, and don't care anymore. (laughs) And I don't see them doing business again unless somehow this turns into a massive thing and somebody calls out Jake Paul. And then they'll probably try to go fight by fight. They'll say, hey, we'll sign you for a fight, but we're not going to do like a whole contract thing. But I think this I think this fight being on the undercard is just a big indicator to you of like this isn't legitimate. This is still being this is being presented as if like oh we want to be legitimate. But then you keep doing sideshow things. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's weird to me. It's like pick a side and go with it. I don't know. The last thing I want to touch on today, is it's an old topic. It's something that came up a long time ago. But I just heard recently in an interview, and I'm telling you, I'm being honest with you, I uh, I did not, I did not watch the rest of the interview after this little snip snippet I saw, this little clip, this little nugget. <laughs> I saw it on Instagram, I think. And I, I saw it, and I just said, ah, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. I'm not watching the rest of this. And it was Dwight Howard saying, I knew I was going to be left off the, the top 70, 75 list because of politics. I already knew I wasn't going to be on there. And, she, and the woman who was interviewing, I, I don't know who it was. I, again, I didn't really watch. She said, why do you think that is? And he said, politics. Ugh. Oh, I, I turned it off. I stopped it right there and I said, no way. Because me and my younger brother were arguing over whether or not Dwight Howard was a snub. And I said, no way. No way. And this was before I even saw it. I didn't even see the list. <laughs> Here's how crazy I am. I was defending the fact that Dwight Howard should not have been on the list without even seeing the list. and of course you could say things like oh Dame Lillard's on the list and and Harden's on the list and all these current guys are on the list and Giannis is on the list but like Dwight Howard deserves he's being disrespected and I started thinking man is that true so once I heard this statement once I heard him say that I decided hey man I gotta look into it and I gotta see like is this true could this be a situation where he was kind of snubbed Maybe he was. I should look into it. So I did. So the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to look up and see how many big men were on the list. Because in my mind, when you're putting the list together, you kind of have to say, like, all right, I'm not going to put Dwight Howard over Giannis. I'm not going to put him over Harden. I'm not going to put him over Dame Lillard. Because, like, it's different positions, different expectations, different requirements. But what we're asking you to do is a bit different. So I said, how many big men are on there, right? How many of the centers are on there? Because that's what position he plays. Is he better than any of the centers up there where you could say, that guy needs to come off the list and Dwight Howard needs to go on? So that's what I did. So that was my first step. So I wrote down a list of all the big men. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big historian type of guy. So I basically think about from when I was able to acknowledge basketball till now right so it's not a long list so there's things that happened in the early 90s i don't know i I was i was the baby right stuff that happened in the 60s 70s 80s not as familiar with i can't tell you that some guy was great or not great i don't know right i could look at numbers and get an idea and watch videos and do all this other stuff but the league was different right so this is guys you know kareem Abdul-Jabbar chamberlain uh you know Tim Duncan, Patrick Ewing, Kevin Garnett. Like, there's guys you know. Elijah Juano, Shaq, you know. There's guys you know, and you would say, yeah, no-brainer. Like, if somebody says Bill Russell, yeah, duh. In my opinion, someone says Bill Walton, yeah, duh. He's on the list, right? So there was a couple guys. There was one, two, three, four, five, six guys that I had never heard of or have no idea what their numbers were like or what type of player they were. I don't know. So I said, all right. So we're going to have to have that conversation, so we got to figure this out. So what I did was I went in and I looked up Dwight Howard's stats, his averages. And according to, I think it's pro basketball reference, maybe NBA reference, one of those. He's averaging for his career 16 points per game, 12 rebounds, and two blocks. So for me, that was the bar. 16, 12, 2. That's the bar. That's where he's at. So is there a guy on this list who exceeds that or doesn't meet that standard to say, obviously, just based on numbers, that guy shouldn't be there and Dwight Howard should. Now, obviously, there's more context to it. There's more, you know, there's different levels. There's different nuance. And one of them is Dwight Howard had a great run from about 2008 to, like, 2011. Dwight Howard was the guy. I'll give you that. He was considered the best in the league. He was really good. Really good. But then he's had long stretches since then where he's kind of been irrelevant. He's bounced around from team to team. He's kind of been okay, but, like, not really. Really? Like, nobody really cares, right? Like, he's been really irrelevant for many, many years. Since those big years in Orlando, since the dunk contest wins, he's kind of been just all right. And that's how you end up with an average of 16, 12, and 2. Now, listen, 12 rebounds a game, that's really good. But when I when I run off these stats to you, most of these big men average double-digit rebounds a game, Right? And you're playing in an era where there's no centers, right? For most of Dwight Howard's career, there was no center, right? Center didn't exist. It was just a big guy who couldn't play. Dwight Howard was a freak athlete. He was the best athlete on the floor most nights at 6'10", you know? So it's it's nuts. But anyway, so the first guy I ran into was Dave Cohen's, And I said, I don't know who that is, Right? I don't know what years he played. I don't know nothing. But he averaged 18 points, 14 rebounds, and one block a game. All right. Well, Dwight was 16, 12, and 2. He's 18, 14, and 1. Is Dwight Howard better? I don't know. Not really. So would you be, do you look at that as that's an outrage? Now, again, I, I, let me go back because I know this sounds stupid. You're like, oh, Yo, but Dave Cohen, blah, blah, blah. I know. I watched Dwight Howard play. I have no idea who Dave Cohen's is. <laughs> I have no idea. So what I'm doing is what I'm saying is my initial thought was in order to be on the 77 list or 75 list, sorry. Why do I keep calling? Is it 77? I don't care. Who cares? All right. It's late. Who cares? Okay. If you're not on the All-NBA list, or if you are on it, in my opinion, it's because when you talk about basketball, these are the essential contributors. These guys have done something or changed the game in some way that you have to talk about them when you're talking about the history of basketball. If you didn't put this guy on the list, it's a travesty. Oh, my God. You're missing, some, you're missing a big part of history. Dwight Howard's been irrelevant for 10 years. Honestly, since 2011 till now, outside of him getting crucified by Kobe, by looking like a dum dum in all these different places, by acting a fool, what has he done basketball-wise that you can even remember between 2011 and now? Nothing. That's 10 years of irrelevancy. Whatever. It's not politics, bro. You had a, you had a good stretch, and then you just became a guy. That's it. Anyway... So when I'm looking at these numbers and just using numbers, that's what at some point in history somebody's gonna do that. Fifty years from now, those people didn't see Dwight Howard play in his prime, so they don't have the reference of seeing one guy versus the other. See, I think that's what my generation does wrong. The current generation, immediate, we remember, we watch these guys, so we think our guys are the best. It's not the case. You might think Clay Thompson should be on the list as one of the best ever, but, like, I don't think so. Yeah, what he's doing is great, and he's a really great shooter and everything, but, like, that Reggie Miller, anybody? Come on now. I'm not saying that's, you know, don't ignore that I said that. (laughs) What I'm saying is I just think that it's easy for us to look and name, because it's funny to me, all the guys that got snubbed, most of them are current players. It's like, yeah, of course you think the guys you're looking at now are the greatest, but, like, no. No, there's a whole history before them. But whatever. So when you're looking at these numbers, just keep in mind that someone else in history is going to do the same thing. I don't think a guy who averages 18, 14, and 1 should be replaced by a guy averaging 16, 12, and 2. I don't. I just don't. Elvin Hayes. Not familiar with him. Averaged 21 points, 13 rebounds, 1 block. Don't think Dwight Howard should go in above him. Bob McAdoo, I've heard the name, don't know the numbers. Oh, wow, 21, 13, and 1. Oh, sorry, 22, and <laughs> 9, and 2. I don't think he goes in above him. George Mikan, again, heard the name, didn't know the numbers. 23 points a game, 13 rebounds. Don't think he goes in above him. Robert Parrish, it gets interesting. I've heard the name. I've heard the accolades. I've heard what he does. Such an essential contributor to that team. 15 points, 9 rebounds, and 2 blocks. That's one where you could say, I don't know. But when you talk about impact, when you talk about what he did, I've heard Robert Parrish talked about in the last 10 years, glowingly. I've heard Robert Parish credited as being one of the best in the last 10 years. I don't hear about Dwight Howard. I wouldn't put him in over Robert Parrish. I think Robert Parrish is more important, contributed more to the game. Contributed more to his team, was a more positive influence, was was never looked at as like a clown like Dwight Howard was. So no, I don't. And then Nate Thurmond, I didn't know who that was either, but he averaged 15 points, 15 rebounds, and two blocks. Yo, that's what else do you want out of your center? He had one less point, three more rebounds, same amount of blocks a game. Like, no, you don't get in over him. So no, I think when you, no, you don't. So, what's next? So, if you're looking straight, if you're looking based on strictly numbers, the guys I didn't name? Okay, do you think he's, he should be in there above Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Nope. Wilt Chamberlain? Nope. Anthony Davis? Nope. Tim Duncan? Nope. Patrick Ewing? Nope. Garnett? Nope. Moses Malone? Nope. Hakeem Olajuwon? Nope. Shaq? Nope. Willis Reed? Nope. Bill Russell? Nope. Bill Walton? Nope. I just ran down to you all the big men. We went through everybody. As far as numbers go from the guys that I would think, no, who's that? They put up numbers. Hey, man, more power to you. I don't know you, but you put up numbers. I can't poo-poo on you. Dwight Howard wasn't left off the list because of politics. He was left off the list because he had a couple really good years. And outside of that, he's a 16 and 12 guy. And there's other guys in the history of the NBA who have done more and been more essential and been bigger contributors to championship teams than Dwight Howard. Robert Parrish did mo- I'm not getting into it. Y'all know this, right? I don't have to be the one to tell you. So my brother brought up a great point. Oh, look at defensive, defensive player of the year. Okay, three-time defensive player of the year. Three times he got the award. So if we're gonna do it because he got that too, well, Ben Wallace has four. He's won it four times. He was like six six. <laughs> I think he was like six nine, but still undersized. Won it four times. Rudy Gobert has won it three times. Same same amount of times as 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 Dwight Howard, and he's not on the list. Hey man, like you're not snubbed because of politics. Not everything is politics. You're a really good player. For your career, you were a really good player. You had really high moments. You did some amazing things. You did some things that we'll probably never see again. We'll probably never see a center go into the dunk contest ever again. You did that, man. You won. You had a lot of fun, man. You contributed a lot. You made it fun for a lot of people. You you dragged that Orlando team to the finals, although I say the supporting cast around you played well that year. But you did that. I ain't got no knock on you for that, but again, man, you, there's there, it's just in the history of the game. It's not disrespectful to say if there was a hundred, I think he's in there. All right? If there's a hundred, if we're doing the hundred players, he's in there. But I don't know. If you just want to look at current players and say guys like Damian Lillard shouldn't have been in there, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not but maybe guard was a little light. (laughs) Maybe you were light on guards and like, ah, we don't have that many like all-time great guards that we feel like we could put in there. So let's put in a current guy, a guy that we feel like projects to be one of those dudes. And I think Lillard, when it's all said and done, when you look at his numbers and his impact and what he's done and where he's come from and how he's gotten to this point, I think he will be one of those guys you look at and saying, yeah, he's one of the best. He deserves to be on a list of like, 10 or 12 point guards of all time, yeah, he deserved to be there. At, of course, now that's projecting forward. I'm not saying right now he is, but he projects to be that way. Lillard hey, Lillard's a lot better than I think we realize because he plays in Portland. And, like, you, you, I, let's think about it. If you're not a Portland fan, I said fanned. <laughs> if you're not a Portland fan, you're probably not watching him outside of national tv games against like steph curry or like the other big point guards but like if you really watch him like he's he's really good it's not a snub no but that's my time y'all i think i I think i talked to y'all long enough right i think i gave y'all enough content what are we at like an hour and 40 man it's a long win today look, man, I want to thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for taking the journey with me. Sorry if I was a little scatterbrained today. I thought, I, I had fun. Listen, I had fun. Hopefully, hopefully y'all had some fun. I don't think I'm going to stick with this format. I think I'm going to go back to just recording early in the day. It's just a little easier, man. All right, so let me go through my predictions, man. Uh, oof, boy. What a week. Listen, man, the Cowboys are playing the Chiefs. Chiefs coming off that big win. They think, oh, we hit, we hit, we hit. Cowboys beat the Chiefs. I'm calling it cowboy pizza cheese. <laughs> oh, check it out! Check it out! Lions playing the Browns. Oh boy, what's gonna happen in that game? My God, my God, Jared Goff! I got Jared Goff beating Baker Mayfield, or I have Jared Goff beating whoever it is that's gonna play. <laughs> I don't know if Baker's back. I ain't doing no research. Look, I'm picking the Lions to get their first win of the season against the Browns this week. Listen, I hope I'm right on that. All right, college football. I got Ohio State beating Michigan State. Let me try to pick another game. Oof. I'm going to take, oh man, this is tough. This is tough. This is tough. I need one more. Uh, I'm going to take Utah to beat Oregon. Look, I don't love that pick. But I got to make one. So uh, I'm taking Utah to beat Oregon. I'm taking Ohio State to beat Michigan State. I'm taking the Cowboys to beat the Chiefs. And I'm taking the Lions to beat the Browns. Yeah, that's right. A statement win don't mean nothing. You got to get two statement losses. <laughs> Listen, I want to thank y'all for joining me today, man. Thank y'all for tuning in. Hope you had a good time. This episode ran a little long today. We had a lot to talk about. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about this episode. I want y'all to hear this. Listen, reach out to me. Join the Cyber Family. Hit me up. Instagram.com slash Telling you, join me on that. Look me up. Cyber Family. Listen, that's all for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a good, good, blessed week. I'll see y'all next time.